live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Three o'clock hour is here on Cofield and Company. Let's bring in Curtis Terry for his Thursday spot as we get into the latest job opening that's been filled. Arizona has turned the page, you know, one of the bullies of the region when it comes to college basketball. They've hired Tommy Lloyd. They get the uh, number two guy at Gonzaga. I think that was the number one choice. What's your reaction? And do you get any vibe from the the Arizona family, uh, from some of them at least, where they're like, uh, what just happened here? Where's the Arizona guy taking over? I guess the U of A fans are going to be screaming, go Zags now. Um, it's... I, I, I like Tommy Lloyd. Obviously, he's done great things up there with Coach Few in Spokane at Gonzaga for the last 20 years. Me, personally, obviously having a tie to the program just because of Jet and been following that program since I was in like fifth grade, I thought they should have went with the U of A guy. I think they've got a long list of qualified candidates that could step in and take the head coaching position um, that have the experience. But for some reason, they went outside of the U of A family. And when you compare like the alumni for UNLV, you can say Stacey Ogman, Greg Anthony, Larry Johnson and such. But dude, when you talk about Arizona, you're talking about guys – Miles Simon, Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott, Luke Walton, Richard Jefferson, Gilbert Arenas, Jason Terry, Mike Bibby. Um, you could keep going on and on. Even Aaron Gordon now with the Denver Nuggets. There's a lot of guys that played at Arizona um, that their names carry weight in the basketball world. Um, and then their dollars are going to carry some weight as well. So it depends on if they're going to get behind and support this hire. Because if they don't, it's going to be a tough road uh, for Tommy Lloyd to, to roll going through Tucson with not having support. Because those former players at U of A are the ones that really carry that program. And they're the ones that draw those kids to come to Tucson because, again, it's Tucson. There's not much there. Um, it's a nice college town. It's a nice retirement community. Uh, but aside from that, I think it's going to be tough unless he gets that support. And I think that's going to be important. Just like coaches that come to UNLV, they've got to reach out to the alumni, to the fan base, like Mick Cronin did at UCLA to get those old guys back on board. Tommy Lloyd's going to have to do the same thing, even if not more, just because of the stature of the alum for the University of Arizona. Curtis Terry's with us, former UNLV basketball player. He's on the broadcast. He's the analyst on radio. All right, this portal thing has kind of turned into a circus with UNLV. You know, many of the players entered the, entered the portal, and, you know, it was kind of a whisper. Uh, but yesterday we find out, you know, Caleb Grill did an interview, went after the UNLV fan base. If you don't know, folks in the audience, Caleb Grill transferred to go back with, he was already at Iowa State one time, he went back with TJ Altsberger, so now he's going to be at Iowa State. But he went after the fan base and said they're just brutal here. They're, they don't really support the program. What do you think? I can't say what I really want to say on air, but I think it's bogus. Um, now, I'm not saying that, that Caleb didn't receive right now. I read the, I read the comments, read the article. I don't, I'm not saying that Caleb didn't receive some, some direct messages, some DMs that weren't um, pleasant to receive. But I think some of the other things that he said, I, I can just completely refute them um, in terms of where the guys stay on campus. Obviously, I think they, they've they got some of the better dorming um, and some of the better housing around college basketball. Now, the apartments that they live in are brand new. They're much better than what the guys lived in five, six years ago. Um, they're very close. to. They're actually on the corner of campus, um, as opposed to when he, when he says that fans are stuck in the 90s and they're not realistic. Well, duh, we know that, right? I think we know that UNLV basketball fans wish that we were still in the 90s, wish that Tark was still here, wish that it was running gun, wish that we were competing for uh, final four bids in national championships year in and year out. We're not. So I get that there's going to be some kind of those messages. But when he says that people are rude, I mean, there's people rude everywhere. So I just think it's a matter of just kind of um, a, a young man just not being sure of how to handle that interview. And obviously when he does it independently, uh, he doesn't have the backing from the public relations department. So in this case, like Andy Grossman, the, unit, the SID at UNLV is not there to kind of shield some of these questions for this young man to put him in a position because the kid's an outgoing transfer. 
the kid's going to put himself in a situation where he probably said some stuff that he regrets, but I don't think that any of it is true. Now, if you did get some text messages that weren't pleasant, that's the life that we live in now with the age of social media. I didn't have to deal with that when I was playing. So I think it's unfortunate. I think Caleb's a good kid. I personally, I think Caleb should have stayed. I think he would have had a better opportunity. Um, he already played in the Big 12 once. I don't know if it's going to be the best situation for him to go out there and be successful just for the type of play that he has. Obviously, he has a ton of loyalty to TJ in terms of following him uh, to Iowa State after kind of getting left in the dust a couple of times here the last go-arounds after committing to him. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, but obviously, they were they were meant to be together, so they're both heading to Ames at the same time. Now, I'll read the quote to the audience. Uh, Caleb Grill, former UNLV player, off with Otzelberger to Iowa State, said, I kind of want to get out of here. We don't really live in the nicest area of Vegas, and it's 18 hours from home. The fan support out here is also brutal. I get ruthless. Uh, direct messages from fans all the time that expect a little too much of us because they went to the Final Four in the 90s. They still expect that every year. People, in general, are just rude out here. All right, Caleb, line drawn in the sand. There's now 10 players, Caleb, in the transfer portal. Is that a reason to to freak out? And uh, what does it say about what Kevin Kruger is trying to do here? Because I I was disappointed that Moses Wood didn't want to stay around, but I also don't know the story. Uh, Maybe the coaches said, hey, Moses, you're probably better off somewhere else. Yeah, it's an interesting situation with a lot of these guys. Obviously, I was hoping that more of these guys would have stayed. Uh, I think it's a situation where some of these guys think the grass is greener on the other side. And and we all know that's not always the case. But I think, again, with this generation um, of of young people, um, especially young college basketball players, they want this the instant gratification. A lot of them want to get patted on the back and they want to get their ego stroked. And I think that's for some of the reasons why some of these guys put their names in the portal, why some of these guys try to run from adversity and try to hide uh, when things get tough. But I, I, the guys that you see that are leaving, I don't think most of them aren't going to better situations or better opportunities. And so I think that says a lot about the, the ability skill set of what they had currently. And I think it's a situation where if you kind of show some loyalty uh, to Coach Kevin Kruger and say, I want to stick this out with you, Coach, he would have put a whole bunch of trust in those kind of guys that stayed with him, like Nick Blake did, like Reese Brown did. Even though Reese didn't have a big, a big uh, opportunity and a big role in what they did last year, I think he's going to be a guy like I talked about in the past, like the Dustin Villapegs, Colin Darforce, um, the Robert Berkeys, those guys that kind of laid the foundation when I was playing my first couple years here. Reese Brown's going to be one of those guys here when we look at five, six years and they're having success. You say, hey, Reese Brown was one of those guys that stuck around with Kevin and he worked. He put in the sweat, the blood and the tears. And these teams are, are having success. And you say, hey, Reese Brown is kind of like the equivalent to when Curtis was talking about those Dustin Villapegs and those guys uh, because he's willing to work, put his nose down um, and get to business. And I think the guys that Kevin's bringing in so far, at least those four guys from the Big 12, saying it and calling it like I see it, they're more athletic and bigger and stronger than the guys that we're losing. So from that standpoint, I already think it's a win for UNLV. Curtis Terry's with us. UNLV running Rebel player. He's the analyst on radio now. You mentioned in the middle of your comment that uh, some of the guys are transferring to situations that maybe aren't better than what they had here. Do you think David Jenkins made a mistake going to Utah and uh, going up another level to the Pac-12? Let me, let me preface this by saying David's my guy, right? David's a Tacoma guy. We're both born and raised from the same area in the 253 in Tacoma. I think David should have stayed. I think David was in a position to where he's one of those guys where he could have he could have said, Kev, I put my trust in you, coach. I'm going to ride this out with you. And I think Kevin would have would have turned around and, and returned that tenfold. Um, I think David's going to have a tough time adjusting to the Pac-12 game. Um, and just simply from a basketball standpoint, he's not the best on-ball defender. And I think in the Pac-12, you're going to get guys that are a lot shiftier off the bounce, a lot quicker, a lot more explosive, more athletic. And so it's going to be harder for him to guard one-on-one in the half court, let alone in the open court. Um, and there was time in the course of the season where David shot, I think, like 41% from three, which is awesome on catch and shoot. But in terms of creating his own shot, he's going to have a hell of a time trying to get around some of the length and defenders from these Pac-12 teams that you see in terms of trying to create and generate offense for himself as well as his teammates. 
So, I mean, good luck to him. Um, still going to ride for him and, and cheer for him because he's a Tacoma guy. I always want those guys to be successful, but I think it's going to be tough for him going over there with Coach Craig Smith as well as DeMarlo Slocum going back to Utah. Um, and they call themselves the running youth, but we know there's only one running team in college basketball, and that's the running Rebels. Okay. Uh, will Bryce Hamilton have trouble moving up? Uh, I mean, he, the opportunities are there. He can write his ticket anywhere. Uh, schools like Kansas, Kentucky, Southern Cal, Oregon, Texas, UConn, Illinois, Texas Tech, Florida State have all reached out. Uh, what sort of system should he go into, the conference, the style of play? By the way, I should throw in there that an upset pick in that group of – because I didn't mention one school. Eric Brown, Southern California guy who was here at UNLV with Menzies, is now at New Mexico. That would be a hoot if Bryce wound up a Lobo. But uh, what, what's the best location in terms of you know the style of play, the conference for Bryce next up? The Mountain West Conference at UNLV. I think that was the best bet <laughs> okay. for Bryce Hamilton. Really? Um, being, being a homer aside, I think for him to be successful, I mean, he had the world in his hands in terms of having the ball and the opportunity. I think he was in a position to where last year, obviously two years ago, he, he kind of blossomed into himself and was having some confidence in being able to score and kind of caught people off guard coming from under the radar. And this past year was a little bit tougher. He didn't have a point guard, someone to take some of that load off of him. But I think his skill set – he thrives with having the ball in his hands and being able to have space and a lot of opportunity. Um, and at times being a volume shooter, uh, I don't see Bryce having a ton of success at schools like Kansas or Kentucky um, or in the big 12 in general. I think it's going to be tough for him. I think those guys are even more athletic than some of the wings that he faced here in the, in the mountain West against the likes of Boise state. Um, By the way, go you, UNLV should be interested based on what they saw in Marco Anthony, who's transferring out of Utah state. I don't think he's decided yet, but man, that kid, Virginia transfer, uh, in this in this conference, I think he's going to transfer back to Power Five. But what a right. big, strong kid! Shots flawed, but um, though you just just so you know, like power, when you go to Power Five, those are the kind of guys you're going to face who are six five, two twenty, um, who are not going to get destroyed off the dribble. Yeah, those are the athletes that you're going to face. Like Marco Anthony is a prime example. He's the one who gave Bryce a lot of trouble when he was guarding him, and it was hard for him to get around. Now, Marco Anthony transferred from the Mountain West back to a Power 5 school. He's a guy that's going to be able to fit in, be a role player, kind of do some of the dirty work because he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. Bryce Hamilton needs the ball in his hands to be successful. And so I think it's a situation where here, again, like I said with David, if you would have stuck with Kevin, he would have gave you I mean, a ton of opportunity and put you in a position to be successful. Me, personally, I think Bryce ends up at USC if he does decide to transfer, and it looks like it's heading that way. I think he's going to try to get closer to home. Um, But I don't know, again, if he's going to have a lot of success in the Pac-12 because, again, the types of athletes um, that they have, and I think the style of coach that Andy Enfield is going to play over there at USC, and you you mentioned that they're going to be bringing in another guy, Boogie Ellis, from Memphis. Um, He's going to need the ball in his hands as well. So I just don't think, again, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but these kids want that instant gratification, and some of them don't want to work for what they want to receive. We talked to Curtis Terry here on a Thursday. You know, I've been out at a bunch of the football practices, been around head coach Marcus Arroyo. Marcus talks a lot about culture, right? And I get confused on culture because then I'm thinking, like, wait, was the culture with the bad coach or the last coach bad? I saw Carlin Hartman, you know, one of the new assistants with UNLV, tweeted out under Kevin Kruger, the culture in our program is changing for the better as we move forward. Las Vegas faithful will be proud. Um, that was yesterday, and I feel like there was a message there. I don't know if that was a shot at the players who are on their way out. Was the culture bad under Ots? Like, what is... No, I... And so, obviously, I was around the team a lot the last two years. I don't think the culture was bad. I just don't think it was going to be... Ultimately, I don't think it was conducive to building a sustainable, successful program uh, when it started with someone in terms of from the leadership position with Coach TJ that looked like he kind of, you know I mean, didn't have one foot in, one foot out, but had at least a couple toes out the door. And I think we knew that kind of the whole time that he ultimately was going to look to go to a Power 5, and that Power 5 was most likely going to be Iowa State in the Big 12. And I think in terms of what Coach Carlin Hartman is talking about is the culture in terms of how they care about their players. 
So now I've said this before, back when I played for Coach Lon Kruger, it was like a big family. It was like you go into the office um, after practice um, in between classes or whatever it was. And you stop by how you feel about what's going on about life and that you feel welcome. And it's not always basketball. And I think one big thing that I've noticed already is that Coach Lon Kruger used to do this. He used to take his staff out to lunch every day in terms of just spending quality time. And I know that Kevin's been doing that with his staff and he obviously learned that from his dad, but getting out there, making sure that they're spending time together, getting to know each other's people, as opposed to just always ordering food in, even though it's a pandemic, spending that time away from the office, off the court, getting to learn each other, that's going to put them in a better position to impact their student athletes. And I think it's going to be about family, about working hard, about getting results based on the hard work that you put in. And I think that these guys are going to lay it on the line, bring that hard hat and that lunch pail kind of type of mentality back to this UNLV basketball program. And I've said it from day one, that that's what the fans in this community respect and appreciate about UNLV basketball is that they're blue collar, they're hardworking, they're ready to come and put it out there. And even if they don't win, the way that they went about their business is something to be proud of. And I think that is what Coach Carlin Hartman is talking about. So uh, let's close on this, as I say that all the time, but I had one more point. Uh, Curtis Terry's with us. Uh, what do you say to people who are looking around the Mountain West Conference, looking around the country, you know, Texas, uh, you know, scooping up players left and right, uh, Syracuse bringing in guys, you know, three, four, five guys are locking them up. UNLV brought in some guys, but they haven't brought in like the guys yet. These are building block players they've gotten from the Big 12. What do you say in terms of, you know, be patient? Hey, maybe there are some bigger names coming, some bigger contributors coming, because people are starting to get worried. Well, I don't know what they're getting worried about. I know Rome wasn't built in a day. And from, from my experience, and if you look around a lot of the different college basketball programs in the country, the teams that have success are getting guys that are rotation, that are program guys that are going to be there three, four years, that are going to be building blocks, going to be pillars to what you build upon. And if, if fans remember a couple years back when Coach Dave Rice was here, we were getting McDonald's All-Americans, top 50 guys left and right. And it looks good in the lights and on paper, but it didn't pan out in terms of wins and success. So I think if you kind of take the old school approach in terms of what Coach Lon Kruger does in terms of you get guys that are going to be here, going to be selfless, going to put in the work, and you build a program, now you're talking about in four or five years, we're going to be in the tournament two out of three years. We're going to be there three out of five years. People are going to be having a lot of success. Kevin's going to win a Mountain West Conference championship. Um, and then people are going to be pretty happy. And then they're going to say, give this guy extension, lock him up before he bolts and goes to the Big 12. Personally, I don't think we have to worry about that. I think we've got the best city in the world. I don't think Kevin's going to want to run too far as long as he's going to have success here. And as long as people respect Kevin um, and give him the due process in terms of what this is going to take. But me, I think that this team is going to have a better season next year than they had this past season. And I think that this turnaround or this rebuild is going to be a lot quicker than people expect thanks to this transfer portal. But again, you don't really want these big names because I think those kids with the big names are going to look to try to go be all about themselves, make a big splash and try to make that leap to the next level. So I like the guys that he's getting that are going to work that didn't get the opportunity after previous stops and are going to put in the process to be able to be successful. And that's what UNLV needs to build a winner. All right, Curtis. Great job. Have a good weekend. We appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. There he is, Curtis Harry. Great job there. The spot today with Curtis is brought to you by Nova Home Loans. If you've been following the numbers around Las Vegas, you know home values are through the freaking roof. So if you own a house, your house is probably appreciated a lot, and you've also got interest rates at all-time lows. So that means it's time to get your mortgage tuned up at Nova Home Loans. I went in there in less than 30 minutes. They told me how much the house had appreciated. Uh, with the equity, I was able to pull some money out of the house. I got a lower rate. My payment went down. You could do the same thing. You could use the money for home improvement, a pandemic relief fund, pay off mounting debt. But the only way this happens is if you call 877-700-NOVA. It's Nova Home Loans. 877-700-NOVA and tell them Cofield sent you. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company.
Watching some afternoon baseball. Happy hours here. 277 on the drink, so come on down to Silver Sevens. Check it out. Adam Hill, Cofield, Angel on the scene back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Zari. Not real happy about this. Not real happy. You know, I'm very protective of my hometown. I'll call it that. <laughs> I've been here longer in uh, Vegas than my uh, original uh, birthing area of uh, Central Jersey. Caleb Grill going out of town, the UNLV transfer who's following Otzelberger. Commitment, dedication, accountability. Following Otz to Ames in Iowa. I think, I think kids forget that newspapers are online and that it's <laughs> yeah. not just your, your local area that's going to read <laughs> the story in the Wichita Eagle. Right. Caleb Grill, who's uh, moving out of Vegas, said, I kind of want to get out of here. <laughs> we don't really live in the nicest area of Vegas. And he says, you know, Vegas in general is 18 hours away from home. The fan support out here is also brutal. Yeah. I get ruthless direct messages from fans all the time that expect a little too much of us because they went to the Final Four in the 90s. They still expect that every year. And then the cherry on top, because we can delve into some of the, the some of the things he says, right? People in general are just rude out here. <laughs> really. All right. Oh, Caleb. First of all, I I'm very caught up, so I have to go back a second. To refer to your hometown as your birthing area, very disturbing. I don't know. Whatever. It's, where it's, where it's, I was born. Where I was where I was reared. It's creeping me out. Where I was reared. <laughs> um. But yes, uh, mostly as you as you mentioned, Caleb Grill speaking to the Wichita Eagle uh, in his hometown, where he's from, his birthing area of Wichita. Uh, I know that a lot of people are very very fired up about these quotes. Um, I think people are caught up on the they expect a little too much because they went to the Final Four in the '90s part of it. I am obsessed with the people in general are just rude here, like. I, I feel like people are generally rude everywhere. But I don't think particularly like I do travel a lot. I don't I don't think people are any more rude here than they are anywhere else. I mean it feels like me if you're judging off of a pandemic where we barely saw each other, you're getting your impression of Las Vegas from eight, ten, twelve morons. Right. On social media? Really? That reps the whole city of 2.2 million? Yeah, I don't know where he's... Like, he wasn't allowed to go anywhere, really. So who was he... Who was rude to him? And that's... That's your interaction? What What else was it? I don't know. I also... I mean, it's possible. Listen, he's a kid. He's not a kid. He's an adult. But he is a college kid. Grew up in Wichita. A very sheltered, lovely community. I don't know much about the Ta. I know you're, you have a good friend who's from Wichita. When he tries to claim I, that it's a very tough area. I flew in, out of, in and out of Wichita, and all I know about Wichita is the airport, and it was like a Longhorn Steakhouse. At the airport? Right near it. Ooh, I killed like nice. two hours because I got there. I got back early, and I killed some time there. How, That's it. That's all I know about the top. How were the people at the steakhouse? Very rude. Unbelievable. People in I, general are rude there. I've never been to a... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They were, they were lovely. They were lovely. Most, I mean, most people in... Most places are generally pleasant. If you get to 
more densely populated places, things can get rough. I don't think this is a densely populated city, so it doesn't apply, but, but I, th- I thought I it was fine. You had a point, I, don't know what, what, I don't know what he's used to. Well, you had a point in that, you know, he lived here during a pandemic. Like, real fans couldn't talk to him, the ones who go to the games. So if, that, you know, if that's what he's judging off of. Uh, most people are not going to send nice messages, so that's, you know, you're going to misconstrue that. Like, you're not going to get supportive messages. You don't need to be sending any DMs to college no, players. No, Let's but just get that but, out of the way. But if you're that kind of person who does that, you really, I don't believe you're representing the larger population. Well, I, I you're will. Like you're, you're probably a social misfit, so he's judging us off of our worst. Okay, but I'll say this, that he did play at another school. He wasn't great at that school at Iowa State. And to me, what he's basically saying is, I didn't get these same messages at Iowa State, because if he did, he wouldn't be going back there. Okay, that's touche. So it's not. So when people are like, every fan base does that. No, they don't. Apparently not. Clearly not. He was at another school. He must not have got those messages, because he's going back to that school. And that, so I, I guarantee the follow-up, if you're listening to this right now, is, that's because we're passionate. Screw you. Stop. That doesn't excuse sending awful DMs. And I know it's not everyone. It's a couple of complete idiots. But and, he, and, the, and the same people with the same tone, similar people with the same tone, popped up on social media. Of course. So then basically, again, it's a small sampling. You proved his point correct by acting like animals. You know what's funny? I, I watched Caleb Grill all year. I thought he was a fun player to watch. I thought he worked hard. He... You know, he's, uh, he's got some limitations, but, you know, when he gets hot, he can shoot the three ball. He worked his ass off playing defense. He was mad. I, I, I noticed one thing. He, uh, he had a short fuse, which, you know, he's got to get under control. But, like, as what I hear about fans, you know, when they criticize players or coaches, like, they're not passionate. He, like, he is riled up the entire game. He gets frustrated when he gets beat. Like, I don't even know. What would you send him? I, I don't know. Did he ever make some proclamation he was going to come in and average 20 a game? No, Why I, were we even mad? I was thinking the same thing. Like he, like he, of all the guys, all year, played with passion and enthusiasm and energy and played well. Like he wasn't, he wasn't uh, always consistent with his jumper, and he did take a lot. He was so willing weird. to shoot it. So I, I can, I guess I could, I could see that. Um, he was, as you pointed out, just always into the game, always, always giving his his maximum energy and effort, and enthusiasm, all the all those things that T. Jotzelberger talks about. Like, yeah, he didn't – I guess he missed some shots. Like, is that what we're going to attack him for? And, and again, as you pointed out, there's people that are like, I don't really believe people are sending those messages, but screw that piece of garbage. Like, okay. Sorry, I'm banging on the table. But, I mean, like, okay. Like, yes, these are the people that he's talking about. You are the same people he's talking about. It's, it's completely insane that, that people are, are thinking this didn't happen or that he's out of line or, or all well, these things. He's talking bet, about his experience. Better yet, and this is something we've talked about for years, and it, and it got really heated up during the Dave Rice era. So we were just talking about Caleb Grill kind of you know dro- lobbing a bomb all over Vegas, <laughs> saying that uh, we're awful here and the fans are, you know have their expectations are too high and they're mean on direct messages. You remember how nasty it got with social media oh, yeah. with the Dave Rice teams. And I know both you and I said, you got to tone it down. Kids read this. Future recruits read this. And it's like, oh, you know, no, they don't. It's not that big a deal. And if they do, we don't want them here. Well, then you're not going to have players because players see that. And not every market is the same, at least according to Caleb Grill, because now he's been in two of them. 
And maybe we missed it. Maybe he had some grand complaint about Iowa State, and now he's, you know, reversing course. And I, I mean, that can't be the case. He's going back. So there, there's a way to be constructive, but that this is this is just stupid. Com- yes, completely. And and the the people I, I I know one of the recurring things themes I'm seeing up on Twitter is you got to have some thick skin. <laughs> okay, you should not you should not have I mean, to. Who, who should? Him. The people sending the messages because they got all riled up right, yesterday. I thought well, I thought you had thick skin. Yeah. You're requiring a, a 20-year-old to be a tough guy. People come back at you, and then you're flipping out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and and by the way, sure, have a thick skin. I mean, I, I understand that. I dish it, so I understand that I have to take it on social media. Fine. Yeah. He's not attacking people on social media. He doesn't need to have people come back at him. You don't. It's not having a thick skin. It's not being a jackass on Twitter. To a kid. Yeah, we'll follow up on this and we'll take some calls in the 5 o'clock hour. But I noticed a, uh, a Mikey Sam had tweeted out in reaction to Caleb Grill saying, hey, you really didn't like it here. And then people going after him. He said, uh, laugh my blanking arse off. Uh, the snowflake UNLV fans getting triggered over what Caleb Grill said. If he wasn't that good, why do you care so much about what he said? And why are you proving his point by attacking him now? And then also said... and. I don't think this is the fan base, but this this person says, hey, delusional ass fan base. With 77 cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield and Company. So the betting numbers are out all over Las Vegas. You know, some of the books around the country jumped the gun on us, but uh, we've got them up on the boards here, and it's uh, it's interesting with the offensive players. I think there's a lot of aggression to play under on the offensive players, meaning going higher and higher in the draft. I wanted to talk linebacker today with Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. How about yourself? Pretty good. Uh, I'm excited to uh, you know look at the NFL draft from the betting standpoint because I think it frames so much of what could happen. And I wanted to ask you about Micah Parsons. I feel like he's a guy who could potentially plummet. His over-under number is 11.5 in terms of the pick. What are you hearing right now on Parsons in terms of the stuff sort of outside football and around him? Yeah, I do think that any reason for his slide, I think, would be a combination of obviously the quarterbacks going inside the top five, top six, and then just how much offensive talent there is, both at tackle and receiver. Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, Vontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. From what I'm hearing, Kadarius Tony could be a top 15, top 20 pick. The league is very high on Kadarius Tony. I had Peter Schrager of NFL Network on my podcast yesterday, 2 for 1 drafts. He said the league loves Kadarius Tony. I think he could be a top 20 pick. So that's going to push defensive players down. You also have Patrick Sertan of Alabama, J.C. Horn of South Carolina, two legitimate cornerback prospects. I like a landing spot for me if the Denver Broncos don't go quarterback. I like nine Denver Broncos. I also think seven to Detroit. Dan Campbell would love himself some Micah Parsons there in Detroit. And then I think after that could be Micah Parsons going to the New York Giants at 11. That's probably where I see the slide stopping. I don't see him going to Philadelphia at 12. Las Vegas at 17 I think could be the floor for him. But I do think that the other reasons he's falling is this off-field stuff. Apparently starting a riot in high school, having to transfer and stuff like that. He was involved in a hazing incident that involved some allegations of sexual assault at Penn State. Like, there was just 
not a lot of good things. Not a lot of good things off field. Some character stuff about Michael Parsons that a lot, a lot of it has been kept behind closed doors. That could push him down boards as well. I see him falling in that range of seven to seventeen, that 10, 10 pick range, and ultimately when it comes down to it. Uh, I mean, just to kind of sum that up of, of all those all that great information you just had, uh, I saw a betting prop on the board. Who is the first defensive player to be drafted? Uh, I took a shot on Sertan. Uh, who do you think it would be? No, I think it is Sertan. I think Sertan at 10 is, is where he probably could land. I think that could be where we see the first defensive player taken off the board because, again, it's like what is Detroit going to do, pass on one of these receivers? I think they're starting receiver core like next year, Geronimo Allison, Quintez Cephas, and Tyrell Williams. Like, it's not a good look, okay? There's not a lot of good options there. I think defensively, Carolina – could swing the bat or maybe a Micah Parsons, but they need help along the offensive line. You know, then it's Denver, or do they make a play at quarterback? Then finally you're at 10 with Dallas, where I think Patrick Sertan comes off the board. It just, you're, you're going to see most likely four to five quarterbacks come off the board, and then you have to figure at least two of the receivers, Penesel and Rashawn Slater. Like, it's going to be difficult to see that first defensive player come off the board maybe till 9 or 10. So when we talk about linebackers, and we'll, we'll get into them a little bit here, uh, are linebackers – kind of going the way of running back? They are a little bit. Maybe not to the same degree. I still think they're paid a little bit more than running backs are on the open market, but they are. I mean, they're becoming less. You know, Ten years ago, you started three. Now you only start two. You know, that, that's the fact of the matter. You know, you're starting more corners than you are starting linebackers in today's NFL. Gone are the days of running base defense. You know, no defense. No team in the NFL runs base defense more than 50% of the time, and the few that do are, you know, like the Seattle Seahawks don't do it you know, as often as they used to. I think more teams are buying into the two off-ball linebacker roles, some running with one. A lot of dime personnel used last year. That's obviously six defensive backs. Like, you're going to see teams do that a lot more, and I do think that that has devalued the position and pushed people more towards, obviously, cornerback and wide receiver and so forth. So if you're going to be a first-round running back, maybe even a second, or excuse me, linebacker, maybe even a second-round linebacker, you've got to be able to, to cover man-to-man, right? You've got to be effective in the passing game. Exactly. You have to be able to rush the passer or play well in coverage. It's why you saw Devin White and Devin Bush, two legitimate 4-4 athletes, go in the first round a few years ago. It's why people love Michael Parsons running in the 4-3s, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, one of the better slot defenders in college football last year, and is technically a linebacker slash box safety. You know, again, you're not going to see these. If you can't rush the passer or play in coverage, you're not going to be valued highly in the draft at linebacker. You're no longer looking for guys that can make the run fits and be these standout run block run defenders. You're looking for guys that can cover and stick with the best tight ends and the best slot receivers in the NFL. So Owusu Koromoa, where does he fall? What kind of fit is he? Yeah, he's an interesting player. I've talked to some people around the league that see him more as a safety. Though some people have him mocked to the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't love the fit. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa would take over what Jonathan Abrams is supposed to do in this Vegas Raiders defense, and I don't think the Raiders want to do that. You know, they spent a 27 overall pick on him, so I do think Jeremiah Wusukoromoa either plays box safety and a lot in a single high heavy defense like what Gas Bradley runs, or is one of the two linebackers in, 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 in a more traditional defense that runs maybe more two high looks that can do everything for you. He can play the slot, he can play off ball, he can even rush the passer if he wants to. He's a very explosive player. I think he's still a bit raw not going to be drafted over Michael Parsons or maybe even not even David Collins, but I think he is the guy that can play multiple positions for your defense. It's just, can you get creative with his usage? He's very similar to, in some ways, Isaiah Simmons, and that he's an insane athlete that's played a lot of different things. Where are we going to play him in the NFL? Uh, and Simmons started to find himself, right, a little bit late, late in the year. Like, could that help some of these guys that you don't really know their position, but uh, you just want to get them on the field? Because I feel like Simmons early in the year struggled. Late in the year, they're like, oh, okay, he can just make plays. Oh, 100%. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, 
no, there wasn't a single rookie defender last year outside of maybe Chase Young that legit played well. You know, it was so difficult with COVID-19 impacting the offseason. You had to learn an entire playbook over Zoom calls. I don't have to tell you guys how hard that might be. So I definitely think that you're going to see guys like Simmons, the rookie cornerback class, Jeffrey Kuda, Jeff Laddie, et cetera, take steps forward in year two. I also think Arizona just threw him at off-ball linebacker. I mean, he was playing in between the tackles to start. That just wasn't what he did at Clemson. You know, he played more of a safety role there, did a lot of different things for them. You need Isaiah Simmons freelancing more. You need him more in a Derwin James role than you want him in a traditional off-ball linebacker role. And I think that's where maybe people will see Jeremiah Usakormo when it's all said and done. Uh, I saw some tweets from you, and this is Austin Gale, uh, Pro Football Focus, up here uh, with us on Cofield & Company. Uh, I saw some tweets from you about Nick Bolton that I'm not allowed to repeat on the air. You seem to like him. Yeah, Nick Bolton, man. I mean, you're going to see – I mean, he is a Raider through and through. I mean, he's a very, very physical player. I think if you ask him to come in and play day one as a starting inside linebacker in the NFL, he's going to get it done. He's just not the same caliber athlete as a Koromoa, as a Micah Parsons, as a Zayvon Collins. But he plays the linebacker position from an instinctual perspective as good as any of those guys. And I do think you see the physicality with his game, the want to, the gusto – with his game. I ultimately think he comes off the board in round two or round three, depending on how bad that athleticism score drives him down. But you're not going to find a more physical linebacker in this class, maybe outside of Zayvon Collins of Tulsa. I do think that he hits hard. I, I, I have a bet with one of my friends. He will get called for a roughing the pass penalty as a rookie. I guarantee it. I'm going to put a guarantee on that. I really do. He, he hits the quarterback and he hits him hard. Uh, if you are looking for a coverage linebacker, uh, Jabril Cox seemed to be a way to go. Yeah, I like him as a day-two player. Jabril Cox, obviously the transfer from North Dakota State, earned high coverage grades playing for them. Then he told me on the podcast, like, I was like, why'd you transfer to LSU? He's like, I got to show I can do it with the big dogs. And goes to LSU and, and earns a very high coverage grade and plays really well. And then you turn on the tape at the Senior Bowl, continues to look very good. I think he had the best tape of any linebacker at the Senior Bowl in the one-on-one. Talk about a guy that can come in and be a man-cover linebacker on tight ends and even some slot receivers. I think that. It's going to have a ton of value. If you don't ask your you know, your linebackers to rush the passer a ton, you want them out there in coverage, he's a really good fit. I like the Colts as an option for him. He kind of reminds me of Darius Leonard in some ways. I really like Jabril Cox as a day-two player. Is there a uh, another day-two or maybe even day-three player that somebody's going to get a steal with? Yeah, I think Barrett Browning is the name that comes to mind, a guy that, coming out of Ohio State with an insane athletic profile that maybe even could make a transition to edge at the next level. That's how good Baron Browning is as an athlete. I'm interested to see where he plays in the NFL. I think the issue is that Ohio State had so many talented linebackers. Tough Borland, Baron Browning, Pete Warner, and Justin Hilliard, all four of those guys in this linebacking class. I mean, that's that's how good Ohio State had linebackers this year. I do think Baron Browning's a guy that could do a lot of things for you. I like Hilliard as well, a Cincinnati guy, former five-star that. Spring ball, torn meniscus. Next spring ball, torn biceps. Next spring ball, other torn biceps. After that, torn Achilles. Guys battled injuries being a former five-star athlete out of Cincinnati. Finally had his first full season in the middle of a pandemic in 2020 and puts it together. I do think Justin Hilliard is a success story on day three I can root for. Austin Gales with us, Pro Football Focus. Let's uh, let's close on uh, some of the over-unders. Back to wide receiver for a second because uh, we're going to be doing a ton of these uh, the rest of the show and all of next week. So I wanted your take on what's going on, first of all, with the uh, top receiver, Jamar Chase. Six and a half at, uh, is the over-under number, and the, uh, the under is pretty strong at minus 170. Would you play against that or with it? Minus 170, I don't really like the juice there. I do think he goes inside the first six picks. If, if it's not the Cincinnati, it's Miami at six. I think the only reason to maybe play the plus money on the other side is because maybe Miami's leaning Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle to pair to a Tungabailoa 
up with, obviously, the former Alabama receiver, and then if Cincinnati goes Kyle Pitts. That's the only really option where I see Jamar Chase falling outside the first six picks. I do think he's a top six pick. Minus 170, I'd probably lay off the number if I'm not going to play probably the plus money and hope something weird happens. Devontae Smith at 11 and a half, uh, 110 both ways. Man, that 110 both ways, I kind of like the under there because I do think New York feels like a floor. And I think the only reason it is minus 110 is because I think a lot of the narrative is that since the Giants signed Kenny Galladay, they're going to avoid wide receiver and go tackle. But I think Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater could already be off the board by 11, kind of putting him in that position to either grab a Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell. I think Gettleman in that situation would lean Devontae Smith. I like 11 a lot, but I think I'd lean that one. I'd lean that way, too. I'd lean the under. And Waddle's 11.5, but the uh, the over is uh, 125. Over at 120. I mean, the under there as well. I've heard from Peter Schrager that the league is really high on Waddle. He could be the first. Some people say he could be the first receiver taken, similar to Henry Ruggs, and that they just want speed. They just want a guy to come in and beat Tyreek Hill. Everyone wants their next version of Tyreek Hill. I think that's the most common player comparison for Jalen Waddle. I think Detroit is an interesting landing spot for him at seven. I think Carolina could play him. Obviously, losing Curtis Samuel this offseason could make a play. These receivers, man, it's hard to think all three of those guys go inside the top 11. Looking at both, you know, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle at that 11.5 figure, if I had to pick one of those receivers to go over, I'd probably lean Devontae Smith. I think the league is lower on Smith than maybe some of the media. I've seen him falling as far as 16 to Arizona in some mock drafts. So if I had to choose between the two, I'd go Smith on the over, Waddle on the under. Uh, I assume that you, like me, think Jamar Chase, and not that it's out on the limb, is the best receiver in the draft. How, how much of a gap do you think there is, though? Yeah, he's the best receiver in this, in this draft, but I don't think the gap is big. All three of those guys are blue-chip talents. All three of those guys should come in and be really productive receivers. I also think Jamar Chase, all three of them have high floors. You know, even though Jalen Waddle is a speed guy, he's not John Rock. I mean, this guy, one of the best kick returners in the history of college football, when, you know, when healthy and when able to do it from an efficiency perspective, averaged more yards per route run against press than Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle over the course of his career. Devontae Smith has been really good against press as well. Jamar Chase did things to SEC cornerbacks that 19-year-olds would never do again. I'm going to say it. 19-year-olds will never do what Jamar Chase did in 2019 again. That's how good he was. So I think we're really seeing a rare wide receiver class year in, year out now because so many college offenses are playing three or four of these guys. And it's another reason why the tight end classes have been kind of weak. Outside of Kyle Pitts, these have been weak tight end classes because not a lot of college offenses really highlight tight ends in their offense unless they have a game changer like Kyle Pitts. Awesome. Good job. Uh, we probably won't check in with you next week because uh, Thursday is the first round. You'll be slammed. But uh, we definitely watch on for a review in a couple of Thursdays. Thank you so much. Your preview stuff has been dynamite. Of course, man. Thank you. There he is. Austin Gale, pro football focus. I am. The more I start to see all of these bets you, you available. You me, by the way. What happened? We've got two weeks. What, next week, two weeks? I don't know. When, when we've, we've got, yeah, we've got two weeks. I'm, I was thinking, like, I'm thinking it's next week already. I was like, oh, my God. I have so much stuff to do. You're panicking me. It's two weeks. I don't know why <laughs> I keep thinking it's, it's, uh, it's next week. It's two weeks. We're okay. Damn it. I, just, I, I literally stopped breathing when you said yeah. it's next week. All right, call up Austin. <laughs> Tell him we want him on next Thursday. I screwed that up. I'm glad you corrected me. On I, that. I went to full panic mode. I grabbed my phone. I'm like, whoa, what, what is this? Sorry. What are the dates? <laughs> it's the 29th. It's two weeks from today. Have you looked at the uh, the team by team odds, like what position they take with the first round pick? Uh, no, not those. I mean, I've looked at a lot of different props, and I know. Uh, you, I'll, I'll say like the weird thing is like with everybody betting draft props now, the amount of people that contact you 
because you're doing mock drafts and because you're putting out draft information is insane. Are you getting requests all over the place to do my, mock drafts? My God, yes. But I mean, I just mean like people, you know, people outside of media requests that are just like, "Hey, I'm thinking about betting this. What do you think?" And I'm like, "I, I don't know. Look up, look at my mock draft. Like, I, I feel like that that will help." Read I mean, that'll my tell stuff. You. That'll, no, but it's like. If you have questions, like I do, believe Justin Fields is going third, and I've got a I've got a pretty big bet on him to be the third pick. Um, and people are like, "Do you really think?" Somebody asked me yesterday. I don't really know the person. They texted texted me, got my number, and said, "Do you really think he's going third? And I was like, "Who is this?" No, I just I just, I just put it in there. It's yeah. somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody is basically what it was. But yeah, they're like, "Do you really think this is true?" Like, yeah, I do. I mean, that's why I wrote it. But I don't know anything. You know, the team-by-team first-round pick is really interesting because, you know, you start buying into the narratives that are out there. And, I you know, I mention it all the time. Once mock drafts come out, then all you guys start cannibalizing each other and you start copying each other. I'm not saying you do that, but, like, it just starts to get ingrained. Like, Miami, definitely going to – they have to get a receiver in the first round. They have to get a receiver with that first pick. They have to get a receiver. So then you start looking at the odds. Uh, the position of that pick for the Dolphins, receivers plus 110 – which is there's no value there. No. And then you start looking down. It's like, all right, well, what if Pitts actually got to him? Tight ends plus 225. O-lineman, they need O-lineman. Uh, that's 3-1. to one. Uh, Linebacker, what if they love Parsons? Who knows? That's uh, Then you're down to like 16-1. to one. Uh, You know, if they found a defensive lineman, they like 20-1. to one. I don't think it's going to be quarterback with the Dolphins. That's 25-1. to one. That would be kind of crazy. Yeah. But these, 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 are, these are now the options on – on every single yeah. team in the first round. And now that the NFL, if you missed it, now that the NFL has officially jumped into bed with sportsbooks directly, they signed a uh, deal today to to pimp and uh, promote three different sportsbooks. This thing is only going to take, I, like, it feels crazy right now. It's going to be massive in the future. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's time for Greenies Wine of the Week, presented by Weed Sellers. Hit WeedSellers.com. Wow, we got some really interesting news coming down on the NFL draft and betting. Wow, that's a big switch. Wow. We're going to have to hit that that number three pick. Who's going to be taking at number three, the betting odds? We'll hit that in about... Eight minutes later on, we got to get into uh, National High Five Day. I'm confused. I just sent out a video with another person who can't successfully <laughs> nail a high five, and I'm not talking about the recipient. If you put your hand up, right, you're the stationary position. You really shouldn't move. You're violating the whole tenets of the high five. But if you're the person coming in with the high five to react and you can't hit their hand, I mean, can are you allowed to analyze sports? Are you that uh, unathletic no. that you, your hand-eye doesn't allow you to is nail it, a good high? By the way, I just high-five myself. I, I know I can do that. Isn't it athleticism? I didn't, I didn't miss. Isn't it an athleticism thing, or is it just a not cool thing? Are you get? Are you are you responding by saying I'm barely going to make an effort to go hand to hand? Well, it's also a pandemic. Well, that that's another the high five. High five talk is coming up. Okay, <laughs> believe me, it's coming up. We got uh, number three pick odds are changing. The draft is next. Nope, it's two weeks. I just said it's next week. I'm so ready for the draft. I'm so fired up. We're here at Silver Sevens right near the William Hill Sportsbook. Um, let's get into Greeny's Wine of the Week. We can always find something on uh, Greeny's show. Uh, you know, he likes to wine. You know, he, his takes sometimes come off as a little bit whiny, and we love that Weed Sellers is on board for Greeny's Wine of the Week. 
I saw. Well, you know, let's let's cut to the chase. Are you concerned about? This is such an old topic. That's the problem with the wine of the week. Are you concerned the players are resting too much in the NBA? Here we go. With the load management. You serious? I. Dude, it's still happening. I, and I, I'm, I'm, first of all, you just fast forwarded us a week closer to the draft. Did you just rewind us to 2015? I know. I know. I figured some topics just die and you move on. I just think people they like to go back to the well on topics. Uh, here's Greeny. He's he's upset that uh, guys today aren't playing as much as guys in the olden days. And of course, who do we turn to? Who's the example of the ultimate gamer? No one is like. MJ. Michael Jordan played 82, 82, and 82 games in the regular seasons of 1996, 97, and 98 when he was in his 30s. They were all still at their very best in the postseason. It didn't shorten any of their careers. And these guys, the guys in the 70s, were flying commercial flights. You would show up at LaGuardia in the morning after a game they played at the Garden the night before, and you might run into Artis Gilmore at the Cinnabon getting breakfast, and he's having a cinnamon bun and a cup of coffee, and he's on his way to Atlanta where they're playing that night. Pretty solid joke. Pretty solid reference. I think he's serious in his take. Unless he's getting me. Unless he's now setting us up for wine of the week, wine of the week material. All right, Artis Gilmore, uh, Cinnabon, solid. No, it wasn't. Not at all. No. What year was he referring to? I don't know. I just looked it up. Cinnabon really didn't start expanding till way after. They were founded in 1985 in Seattle. By the time they were at LaGuardia, had to be late 90s. Orange Julius? Orange Julius is good. God, that's like the strawberry banana smoothie, which is not a smoothie at all. Did Auntie M's do the pretzels? Yeah. I don't know if that was around the 80s. I'm trying to think of my mall days in like 86, 87. What was there? They probably like a Pepperidge Farm, like a Mrs. Fields cookie maybe. You know what's funny? I actually, I didn't work at Mrs. Fields, but I worked at the company. No, Mrs. Fields bought out the place. I was working at a bakery. It was La Petite Boulangerie. Okay. And I think Mrs. Fields bought out La Petite Boulangerie. I, I used to listen to all the Jets games on Sunday because I couldn't get Sunday off. And I remember the, I think it was the 86 season. They raced out to like a 9-0 start. And I thought Ken O'Brien was the greatest player in the history of football. They were kicking the crap out of everybody. They may have been. I don't know, whatever. They finished the season like one and five. But it was I had such a good time like making the bread. I'm like, Jets, this is great. Such an easy season. And then the season fell apart, and then uh, the bakery got purchased. And I never worked at the cookie company. What was more sad, the bakery falling apart or the season falling apart? I mean, based on what's happened since, it was probably the season at the time because uh, I, I was thinking like, hey, this is a great Jets era. I mean, I got Ken O'Brien's going to be a really good quarterback for like 10 years. Uh, but free oh, bread every Sunday. That was the problem. Is I lost the free bread. My God, the holla! Oh, holla! <laughs> it was so good, like fresh holla. Because you, you, you know, you couldn't. What you is, really, really, is holla? You could. It's uh, you really couldn't throw out the bread. It's like the twisted bread. It's uh, I don't know, whatever it is, egg based. What okay. what is it, Ari? What's holla? What's the main ingredient? It's a uh, twisted. It's uh, very flaky. It's lovely. You nailed it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he knows. Is it C-H-A-L-A? Yeah. Uh, two L's. Uh, L-A-H. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, what'd you say? A at the end? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. C-H-A-L-L-A-H. Okay. 
it's, yeah, it's good. It's good bread. Egg based. You're right. Screaming, Ari. Back, back off the mic. Back off the mic. Give me a, give me challah. But you could do that. Yes. Give me. Yeah. Actually, do that. We need. We need the correct pronunciation. Challah. Right. Can <laughs> you can you right. can you do that and yell it like Steve? Holla! <laughs> <laughs> I even backed off the mic like you do, Dad. <laughs> that was awesome. Give me some more, Greeny. This is an epic rant about how players today are pansies, and back in the day, they just got the job done. They didn't need load management. So how is it possible that now all of a sudden the science shows we can't do that anymore when we did it for sixty years? These guys would drive. To games. They would take trains. They would take commercial flights up until not that long ago. So how is it possible that we can't do that now? I don't get it. I don't get it. Adam? Greeny doesn't get it. Why are players today such wimps? They're not. Uh, teams are protecting their investment, for one thing. Uh, are you saying owners didn't really care about players that much in the past? They still don't, but they care about their investment. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's one thing. Uh, and they realize the playoffs are much more important than the regular season and that if you're fresh, when you get there, you play better. And, by the way, yeah, other teams are doing it. So, so because they realize that it's smarter. And they realize that they can get to the playoffs healthier and fresher and play better then, and that if you don't, you're going to get run over in the playoffs. Yeah, we love this. Greeny's awesome. 10 a.m. start every day, Monday to Friday. His wine of the week. Thank you so much, Mike Greenberg. Hitweedsellers.com today and order some Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, or Cabernet Sauvignon. We embrace equality and diversity. Weed Sellers.